You're listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We're going to start this afternoon by talking about a uh, hashtag that was trending yesterday, Instagram down. And just the societal uproar that happened because of both Instagram and uh, Facebook, which for those that are not enlightened and do not know, Facebook owns Instagram, so uh, one feeds into the other. Uh, but they both went uh, down yesterday. Uh, it's still unclear as to what happened. I think they were doing, uh, was it some technical work or something like that? Yeah, I think so. You know, their IT team was trying to do some upgrade. And uh, Well, listen, this happens at our workplace, probably happens on yours as well, at your place too, place of work. That the IT team, they get in there, and I always love when they do something on the weekends, because you can be guaranteed come Monday, your computer is not going to start up right. Installing updates? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it was funny, because that's uh, what somebody uh, tweeted, uh, when because uh, Twitter, of course, was still working. It was the only thing working on social media yesterday for a while, and everybody's uh, grousing and complaining that, uh, oh, my Facebook is down, Instagram's not working. Did you try Control-Alt-Delete? That's what somebody had tweeted. There was another tweet about it. Just try powering down and powering up. I wonder how many people actually did that. Figured, you know what, if I just power down my phone and power it back up again, maybe Instagram will uh, reboot and things will be okay. That's maybe- not the worst. Like, I guess closing the app and reopening the app, That's that would be my go-to. I don't think that's an un, uh, unheard of response. See, uh, my go-to is, uh, well, I'll just come back some other time. I'm, I'm really not that concerned. I'm, I'm not that worried that Instagram was down. But like I said, uh, the, there was a certain faction that was just in meltdown mode that they couldn't check out other people's lunch. Like, oh, my goodness. I, I don't know what Dusty is having for lunch. I can't see his Instagram right now. His uh, latest photo of his food. I guess I won't have lunch then. Yeah. <laughs> because it didn't really happen unless it's on Instagram exactly. or Facebook. If you, can't, if you can't post it, why eat, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, actually, adding to the hilarity is the fact that uh, on Facebook, because you could get on Facebook after a while, but you couldn't see photos. I couldn't see Dusty's lunch. But uh, what happened was instead of uh, the, the photo, uh, there was like a descriptor of the photo, these AI-generated messages that were popping up for people. Uh, for example, uh, there was somebody who used to have a, a picture or had a picture of uh, them and their friends fishing. And instead of that coming up because of the uh, glitch, it just said, image may contain text that says, my fishing crew. Image may contain one or more people. Image may contain one person smiling, people sitting, outdoor, and water. You know, if anything, it kind of gives a perspective uh, of somebody with a disability. You can actually understand what their experience would be like. So, Oh, kind I, of descriptive captioning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting just to, to understand that from that perspective. A learning opportunity, a teachable exactly. moment, uh, yeah. perhaps, you yes. take something positive out of it. That is true, but uh, it's just funny reading some of these uh, AI descriptors. And as uh, somebody said, uh, this uh, actually gives us uh, maybe inadvertently a look into how Facebook... Uh, kind of automatically parses our personal images and stores uh, all of our uh, personal information because uh, this is exactly, I guess, how their uh, artificial intelligence reads our photos, categorizes it all, and then uh, parses it out to uh, to advertisers. So, for example, image contains one or more people fishing. Well, that's probably going to, like, uh, bass, uh, bass shops, bass pro fishing shops or whatever, and that's why you, you see ads. Uh, for for that if you post a fishing picture so maybe we got a little uh behind the scenes look into facebook yesterday 
Is everybody okay, though? Uh, nobody, uh, like, freaked out here that uh, Instagram was down? I didn't know Facebook was down. I knew Instagram was having some problems because, admittedly, I have been stalking the Stranger Things account for the past two days because it's been <laughs> released. Um, but uh, I just went to Reddit, my go-to social media. All right. Dusty, how about you? Did, were you able to handle things okay? or I handle it. I did notice the same thing that you just described uh, also was on the Instagram interface on a, on a computer rather than a phone. So it, it also, like, the grid came up, someone's feed, but all the pictures were just replaced with these descriptions. Oh, image may contain one person smiling. Image may contain two people smiling. Uh, it's hilarious to read. It's like, uh, image may contain seven people, some smiling, some standing. <laughs> It doesn't sound all that great, does it? Like, it's like, well, why have I been wasting hours upon hours on social media looking at uh, people's accounts? Because the yeah, image may contain uh, Eric and his friend Michael smiling. Very exciting. You know, all I got actually on Instagram uh, when I went on uh, yesterday and found out it was down was the, the circle with the arrow. Which is, uh, I think that's for reload, right? Just push yeah, and try to reload. Yeah, that's what I saw. Yeah, I, ne- I didn't get any of these uh, fun descriptors because, uh, quite frankly, I probably would have been captivated for a little longer. Yeah, I would have stayed on Instagram if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> okay, also happening yesterday, and uh, both of you weren't with us uh, during the regular uh, show on from, uh, when are we on? Wendell 3. Uh, Wendell 3, uh, because uh, Kauai Watch uh, happened on our watch yesterday, that there was uh, a private jet that landed at Pearson and then uh, people unidentified uh, got into these uh, black SUVs, these SUV limos, and were whisked from the airport. And, and as many people uh, have said on social media since, it was somewhat reminiscent of uh, the OJ thing. The chase? Yeah, there, yeah. there was like a chopper footage, and they were chasing them down. Which the, is uh, a terrible parallel. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it really is, but that's exactly what it looked like, and followed them into the, uh, it turned out to be the uh, Hazleton uh, Hotel, where we believe, I don't think we still have like solid confirmation, but we believe Kawhi Leonard was there and uh, met with the Raptors uh, management. Still no decision. We're still waiting to hear whether or not uh, Kawhi is staying or if he's uh, going. But it was really interesting uh, yesterday as this whole thing unfolded uh, during the show, live on the air. I, I was just blown away, as many others were, by the amount of people that were gathered. It was a spontaneous gathering in front of the hotel. I mean, it numbered in the hundreds. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of when they're selecting a new pope. And you've got the huge <laughs> gathering around the Vatican, and they're waiting for the smoke to come out. So now they're waiting to see what the sm- color of the smoke is going to be for Kauai. Yeah, right, because it's white smoke when we see that. They've got a new pope? Yes. Yeah, okay, so so that's what we're waiting for I think, the Hazleton I think we're Hotel. Waiting, I think we're waiting for red smoke. Yeah, red, red, yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Once red smoke disseminates from the Hazleton, we will have a decision. We will know whether or not Kauai is staying or going. If he doesn't do that, I'm going to be disappointed now. Thank you, Dusty. <laughs> Well, since it's between the Raptors, apparently, and the Lakers, maybe they should it's smoke signals, right? They send up a puff of red smoke if he's going to remain a Raptor, yep. or maybe yellow gold smoke if he's going to become a Laker. A Laker yep. And then we'll know. Did we embarrass ourselves uh, yesterday with this spontaneous gathering? Because reportedly Kawhi also met with the Lakers in L.A., and I don't see any media reports uh, out of Los Angeles suggesting that there was also a big gathering. And uh, there, there certainly were no uh, reports on uh, what's the big station out there? KTLA, I think, uh, in Los Angeles. Like uh, they weren't using their chopper to track uh, Kawhi's uh, whereabouts. Uh, 
I don't, do you think we embarrassed ourselves a little bit yesterday? I think we're just showing that we're new to this. L.A. kind of is like a, a veteran when it comes to sports and, uh, I mean, just celebrities in general. So maybe we're just showing our, you know, our newbie stripes. I, get, I mean, are we new to this or, or not? I mean, we've had big sports stars in the city before. Uh, I mean, even basketball stars, Vince Carter, of course, and Damon Stoudemire. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Uh, and, of course, notably, uh, a lot of big hockey players in this town. And as I mentioned yesterday, I don't think we would have saw, saw this gathering, this spontaneous gathering, had it been Mitch Marner, which is kind of interesting. As we await, that's the other big uh, signing we're awaiting, right? Uh, Marner with the Leafs. I have a feeling uh, we're not going to see that sort of gathering uh, when the Leafs and Marner are ready to make an announcement. I think it might be because Kawhi's already brought us home a championship. So people, it is sort of like that uh, analogy with the relationship. And so because we've experienced a championship, we don't want to let that go. Yeah. So the hype is just bigger because the, yeah. the stakes are a little larger. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I have to admit, one of my guilty pleasures every morning uh, when I get up and uh, get ready to come in here uh, and I'm waiting for the elevator to come down to the uh, ground floor, uh, my neighbor two doors down gets the Toronto Star delivered. So it's always sitting uh, right there on the uh, the doorstep, uh, if you will, uh, on my floor. And I always just kind of glance at the headlines and see what's on the uh, front page. Uh, one of the uh, headlines on the uh, Star today was, when it comes to Kauai, Toronto just has to chill. couple issues we want to talk uh, regarding uh, marijuana. The government, uh, the Ontario government announcing yesterday it's set to issue 50 new licenses for cannabis shops and as well a canopy growth. Their uh, co-CEO, Bruce Linton, he was uh, abruptly ousted yesterday from the uh, top job by the uh, company's uh, board of directors. This after the company's biggest shareholder said that it was, quote, not pleased with the cannabis, the cannabis latest earnings. And that uh, everything, uh, well, according to Lytton, could have been handled a little differently. Let's welcome in our uh, finance expert, Rabina Ahmed Hawk, to discuss this further here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Rabina, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right, a bit of a shocker uh, yesterday. Uh, this is, doesn't happen too often, right, that a company's CEO gets uh, ousted. I know sometimes earnings don't meet projections, but uh, it's kind of a drastic move for a company, no? I mean, it happens, but I think that, you know, um, Bruce Linton is someone who has been the face of the cannabis industry almost in Canada. He's this charismatic uh, gentleman who has really been, uh, you know, in the media doing as many interviews as possible about the uh, the growth of this industry. And his own company has sort of led the way, Canopy Growth. So, um, you know, his firing is more high profile more than anything else. Um, he was out doing a lot of interviews yesterday, too, explaining the position. He doesn't seem to be all that bothered uh, for what's happened to the company. He says it's really just, you know, I've lost my job, but he believes that this might be the best thing for the company. So I thought that was a quite, a, quite gracious way of, of uh, managing his own firing. And maybe trying to uh, manage it, because I'm sure he's a uh, still a shareholder. Uh, shares of Canopy were down by as much as uh, just over 5% on the uh, Toronto's stock exchange uh, yesterday. So so what does that tell you about uh, this company moving forward? Well, 
Just generally speaking about cannabis companies, they've been very quick to go public. And when a company goes public, they're under a different microscope. I mean, you know, they they have to uh, adhere to different rules and they are definitely more transparent. So um, that means that often you will get, you know, investors who get a little bit nervous because they don't like what they're seeing. And so when it comes to regular everyday investors like you and I, Jeff, I always say that this is a new industry. It's just like when tech uh, you know, in, in 1999, everyone was sort of investing in the tech industry. We weren't really sure what companies were going to survive and what were going to be the long-term ones to invest in. So I give the same advice to anybody today. If you are investing in cannabis, don't pick individual companies. Find an ETF that follows a basket of marijuana and cannabis stocks. You will be more safe that way with your money than you will be trying to see which company is going to, you know, rise from the ashes and be the one that really carries Canada's cannabis industry into the future. Well, listen, Canopy, they are a big company, no doubt. It was back in November of last year. They received a $5 billion investment from a firm called Constellation Brands. So, I mean, this is big time money uh, that's going on in this company. And what is the biggest challenge, do you think, for them uh, moving forward or any other cannabis uh, company? Company, uh, in this country is it the emergence of uh, edibles that we're waiting for or is it something else yeah i mean that edibles will become legal i believe in october or um and so that will be a whole other product that we will have to see you know what what consumers want, how are consumers purchasing it. This deal that you talked about with Constellation Brands, they make things like Kim Crawford Wine and Corona Beer. This is really what kind of highlighted that Canopy Growth is still in a position where um, they're not making money. And so Constellation Brands makes this huge investment into the company. And then when they open the hood and they look at what the company's actually doing, they weren't very happy about it. And the money was spent very quickly. And so all of those things in combination might have actually led uh, to the firing of the CEO because, uh, you know, a big company comes in that's well-established, that has been in the industry, the alcohol industry at least, for a long time, says we want to get involved with this new emerging industry that, you know, we really think is a good marriage between, uh, you know, alcohol and marijuana, both sort of, you know, leisure, uh, leisure uh, I would hope that people only use them on the weekends and at leisure time. Um, and and it's not working out. And so that definitely is putting, the, you know, the spotlight on the fact that some of these companies are growing too fast and they're not actually making money. They're just uh, really more uh, focused on uh, infrastructure and getting products out, but not actually making any money. Yeah, it really is. It goes without saying this is an emerging industry with uh, legalization still pretty fresh in this country and in uh, many places. Uh, is the marketplace going to sort out winners and losers here, do you think, uh, Rabina, shortly? Absolutely. I mean, 20 years from now, we're going to know which company has, you know, really established itself. It might be a company that doesn't even exist yet. It might be, you know, it might be something that is, you know, now that things are settling, even with this talk about how um, uh, in Ontario now they're asking the, the stores that are going to be selling marijuana to be a much more financially sound because they made some mistakes with the licenses that were put out before that people just didn't have the cash to open these stores. And so they, you know, they found that they weren't getting uh, the kind of storefronts that they had expected because people didn't have the money to actually open these storefronts up. So now they're asking people to prove that they have, you know, access to a line of credit, access to capital, um, and so that they have an actual business plan and how they're going to run these stores. Uh, so I think, you know, the, the, it's a new, as you said, emerging industry. So on the higher level with the big companies that are important in Canada, we're now seeing they're not as profitable as we thought they were and investors are suffering for that. And even on the smaller level with the storefronts, we're saying, you know, 
seeing government step in and say, we need to have a little bit more proof that you are able to run these stores before we give you the licenses. And I think that that's all good for the, for the industry in general. You know, 10 years from now, the companies will be, uh, the, the stores that sell these will be much more financially sound than they are today. Joined on the phone by personal finance expert Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. And Rabina, you just touched on the second part of our conversation, which is the Ontario government announcing yesterday the second round of cannabis stores. They're planning for 50 more to start opening as early as October. And as you alluded to, yes, there will be a stricter requirements. The previous requirement was a $50,000 line of credit. Uh, now you must prove you've got $250,000 in uh, working uh, capital. And, of course, uh, there was a lot of problems uh, with the first round of uh, stores with uh, fewer than half of them, fewer than half of the uh, 25 licenses that uh, were given out last time around that uh, opened on time. And so far, there's still three other licenses that haven't been executed yet. Uh, 22 out of 25 of the original stores are only open. Do you think that these uh, stricter requirements are going to make sure that these uh, new licensees that they do uh, uh, have the ability to open these stores and open them on time. I think this is a good move. I mean, there's so much pent-up energy and so much excitement from those people that uh, want to get access to cannabis products. So hearing that, you know, a number of different stores were unable to open are, and still, as you said, three out of those 25 are still not open um, is just a letdown for something that has taken years, not just for legalization, but then for actually, you know, being able to access it at a retail store. So, you know, it's just good business sense to make sure that the person that you're giving the license to actually has the means to open the store and start selling the product on time and continue to remain open for the long term rather than just a couple of months and then they're unable to pay their bills. So this is this is a good this is a good move for the government to, to make uh, because this is something this is a product that people want. People don't want to you know drive a hundred kilometers one way to get this product. They want to be able to get it in their neighborhoods. Um, and so this is going to uh, provide that service to them. Okay, so they they raise the bar, the requirements are a little stricter, but it's still a lottery that, that's in place. Do you think that that is the best way to uh, dole out business licenses is through uh, a random draw? Well, I mean, it depends on who's in the random draw. If every single person in that random draw is equally qualified and has shown their financial status is sound and that they could open a store tomorrow, then if there is, you know, an increased amount of people that want to have these stores and they only are allowed to... Uh, have X amount open in Ontario, then a lottery makes sense because that seems more fair than picking and choosing which which person gets them because then you get into a why did they get a license and they didn't and that all all that different type of conversation takes place. Uh, but if you're just putting everybody in there, you know, the losers and the winners, uh, then, yeah, it is a problem because you might be giving a license to somebody, whereas you're looking over another person who has all the finances in place and has a much better location and much better clientele, and they can make more money. Um, that would be that wouldn't be very, very wise. I was just thinking with all of the controversy surrounding uh, Dean French, maybe the uh, premier wants to start giving out jobs this way as well. We got to just have uh, a random lottery. <laughs> I'm just going to say no comment to that. Okay. No comment. All things politics. Uh, let, let me ask you this just finally. We'll get you out on this uh, question. Uh, this emerging industry, uh, do you think people, I mean, if they've got the financial means, is this a good investment to get into this uh, lottery? Do you think uh, this could be a windfall for anybody who uh, wins one of these pot licenses? Uh I mean, you have to have a very good knowledge. It's not just about, you know, I smoke weed, so now I want to open a store. I think you have to have the business savvy to know what it takes to operate a store that sells a product that, uh, you know, can be a 
harmful if you smoke too much and you get behind the wheel. I mean, you have to have that know-how. I don't think you can just open the store just because you like weed. Um, I definitely think that someone with, you know, a business background would, would do better than someone who's just, you know, is interested in opening the store. So, I mean, I don't have any specific comment on whether you should do it or not, but just make sure you do your research and that you have the money and that this is a long-term commitment. This is not just about opening something for fun. Um, it's about doing something that um, clearly the community wants, clearly it's now legal and it's available. And so you need to be able to provide that service in a legitimate way. All right. Personal finance expert, Rabina Ahmed Hawk with us this afternoon. Rabina, really appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Jeff. You know, it was last week I mentioned I screened this film, Midsommar, and it uh, really bothered me. It really uh, stayed with me. It's a a sinister, very slow-burning film by director Ari Aster. It is uh, being hailed by many critics as uh, one of the best films of the year, and it follows uh, Aster's uh, acclaimed directorial debut, Hereditary, uh, Hereditary, in which uh, we see this uh, horror movie with uh, crossover potential. It's got a lot of uh, themes, great uh, cinematography as well and really some uh, oscar worthy acting is it uh, pulls you into uh, this uh, cult basically this cult that's uh, based in uh, sweden in which they're there during uh, the summer solstice in which all of this uh, sinister stuff happens instead of most horror films in dark this happens in the light of day it's midsummer have a listen what do you think it's like another world Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. All right. As I mentioned, it is a very frightening and scary film that uh, plays with your emotions. It stays on your mind long after you've uh, left the theater. And uh, recently on the morning show on Global Television, my co-host Carolyn McKenzie and myself got a chance to sit down with the film's director, Ari Aster, and one of the stars, Jack Rayner. And we started the interview by asking uh, Ari about uh, writing this film, which uh, he apparently wrote uh, after a very bad breakup. Yeah, I, I was... Um I'd been wanting to make a, a breakup movie for a long time. I always wanted to make one whenever I was going through one, and I never just found a way in. And so, Sorry. Yeah. There's a breakup movie. Yeah. And then there's this. Right. <laughs> um, like, here's what I was thinking. All right, you could have called me. We could have went for beers. We could have just talked this thing out. Uh, it's, too, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I I, uh, I wanted to make a breakup movie that, like, that, 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 plays the way a breakup actually feels, which is like the world is ending. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Well, there's so many things going on with this, and it's not just that breakup, which is one storyline. There's a lot of things going on in this, and it all centers around this festival happening, happening in Sweden. And how much of this is based on on real happenings. Had you heard about fest, some odd festivals, ancient festivals, and, and have, you, have, you, have you tied a few things together to create this, or is this all from your imagination? No, it's a stew of, you know, of research and invention. And, you know, I, I, I went out to Sweden for a couple different midsummer 
uh, solstices and uh, and you know the one thing that I'm sure Swedes will take umbrage with is that is that it's it's never bright when. Uh, when midsummer rolls around, it's always raining and overcast. And <laughs> it's, it's very gross weather usually. Yeah, Jack, uh, when you first read the script, uh, what was your what was your initial impression? Um, I mean, I was it was it was a shocking read. It was a shock, shocking read. Let alone you know the experience of sitting down to watch the film or indeed to make it. Mm-hmm. But um, I just thought it was going to be really provocative for an audience, and it was going to. Um, it would be divisive in some way. Um, did you have like a bunch of questions, or once you read it, were you like in? Well, I watched. I watched Ari's right? short films. His film Hereditary hadn't been released when I came on board this, but I had watched his short films, and I saw that he was a very unique and skillful filmmaker. And he and I had plenty of conversations about filmmakers that we uh, that we both kind of admire and revere in in common, you know. And uh, he kind of explained what his vision was for this and it was just so exciting to me and refreshing because it, it is a unique film. It's not like a lot of the things you're seeing coming out at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of provocative, um, you know where I'm going with this. You have a couple of revealing scenes. Um, That's one word for it. <laughs> was there any hesitation to stripping down? No, I thought that it was really, really important. Um, you know, it was an intentional decision on Ari's part, and I was uh, definitely advocating for as much full frontal nudity for myself as possible because, you know, I think the culture of horror cinema historically has seen women in that position in a very kind of degrading and humiliating kind of position Um, and it's kind of reserved for them largely and you don't see that happening with male characters very much so for me as an actor a big draw to be part of this film was to have an opportunity to put myself in that perspective as much as I can as a male Mm -hmm. Um, and it was it was a challenge it was very very difficult of course um, and I definitely felt very vulnerable doing it but I'm very glad to have had the opportunity to. Was it one take? And done? Uh, no. No? <laughs> I was very naked yeah. for uh, two days. <laughs> Ari, uh, talk to us about filming this uh, in Sweden. You mentioned usually it's uh, rainy there, but it's really interesting, I think, in the film, the juxtaposition between the bright sunlight and the real dark happenings that are going on in this uh, camp. Yeah, well, you know... Um whether you're making a film in total darkness or you know broad daylight, you know the goal is always just to make a beautiful film and 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 to make it as well as possible. Um, and this is definitely a film that you know it's it doesn't really trade in jump scares. So I didn't you know I wasn't losing any mileage by losing you know like dark shadows or dark corners. It's it's really a film that I think is aiming to unsettle and and disturb more more than it is to actually scare you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where, where it's more emotionally unsettling, is that what you're going for rather than just the, the imagery? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, I I hope that people kind of walk out of the theater not totally sure how how to feel. Uh, yep, accomplished, mission accomplished, yeah. I, I'm still not sure what to feel or how to feel about it. <laughs> um, but, and as we know from horror fans and sci-fi and thriller fans, they, they, do, they do love to look for the imagery and the hidden messages and the symbolism. And are, is everything intentional that we have found? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I'm sure 
I'm sure there are a few accidents that you can read that I, into. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Do you hear that from fans of yours sometimes? Uh, you meet them on the street or maybe, I don't know, you're reading some fan mail, uh, emails, and they're finding things in your films that are like, I, I didn't really intend that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but I, but I think that's, that's sort of the fun about, you know, uh, there are a lot of things that are sort of hidden in the margins and, and um, there are a lot of details that we've kind of relegated to the periphery of the film and I hope that uh, that that encourages a more active uh, engagement on the part of the viewer, um, and, and you know to the point where, yeah, they might they might be reading into things that ultimately don't carry mm-hmm. um, that extra weight. Um, but that's that's it's the fun that's of it. great. Yeah. And that is director Ari Aster and one of the stars of his brand new film, Midsommar, Jack Rayner, with us uh, earlier this week on the morning show on global television, Midsommar, which I uh, mentioned is a critical darling, getting a lot of great reviews, is in theaters starting this weekend. All right, as we get set to uh, round out uh, this hour of the program, a uh, note on the on a rather sad ending uh, was announced today that Mad Magazine is going to fold after, uh, how about this, 67 years. Might to recall, remember a Mad Magazine for, well, I do for a couple of things uh, growing up. I used to love Mad Magazine when I was like uh, 8, 9, 10. Uh, I used to read it religiously. And uh, Alfred E. Newman, of course, the uh, Mad Magazine spokesperson, the Gaptooth uh, spokesperson for uh, Mad, their uh, mascot, always somewhere on the uh, cover. Used to love Spy versus Spy. Remember those two, Spy versus Spy? And then there was the, uh, I'm trying to remember, it was like a centerfold, almost, if you will. And stay with me uh, on this, but uh, Mad Magazine would, uh, yeah, there would be like a pullout in the uh, magazine, which you would fold on line A and B, and then the uh, picture you were looking at was something entirely different. There, there was always, uh, like, something fun about it. But Mad Magazine had so many fans and so many comedians that uh, love this, and it was a real inspiration for them growing up. Uh, Drew Carey tweeting today, OMG, I'm crushed. One of the best comedy mags ever published. Hashtag thanks, Mad. And uh, Weird Al, Al Yankovic, tweeting, I am profoundly sad to hear that after 67 years, Mad Magazine is ceasing publication. I can't begin to describe the impact it had on me as a young kid. It's pretty much the reason I turned out weird. Again, from a Weird Al himself, but to Mad Magazine. Sad announcement to earlier today, folding after 67 years. What a run. You are so weird. And we will all miss you.